Hello, my name is Maggie Taggart and I've been a broadcast journalist and TV and radio presenter for over 40 years, mostly with the BBC in Northern Ireland. For this series of podcasts on equality in education, I've linked up with the Equality Commission to highlight the need to address prejudice-based bullying and to challenge stereotypes. Today we're talking about a new law on how to tackle bullying in schools. It just came into effect in September 2021 after a number of years in the preparation. One of my guests has had a hand in deciding what should be included in the new law. Dr Noel Purdy from Stranmillis University College. Hello to you Noel. Hello. And I know you are closely involved in studying educational underachievement and as a member of the Northern Ireland Anti-Bullying Forum I'm sure you can guide us through the new rules. Also with me is Asha O'Reilly, who is Policy Officer with the Equality Commission. Hello. I'm hoping you can give us the Equality Commission's take on the view on what should be happening with the Addressing Bullying in Schools Act. Now, we start with you, Noel, and, and I know no school would admit that it takes a relaxed view of bullying among pupils, I would hope, but this act puts the teachers and the governors under formal notice to deal with individual incidents. Can you talk us through why that was thought necessary and the changes that the schools are expected to put into action now? Okay, it's been quite a long and protracted process uh, since this began back in 2013, Maggie. Uh, And it began with a review of the anti-bullying policy guidance and legislation that that the anti-bullying forum at the time was asked to undertake by the minister, the education minister, uh, John O'Dowd. That review uh, was submitted to the minister at the end of, of 2013. And it didn't necessarily call for legislation, but it called for a more consistent approach to guide schools in terms of how they would prevent and address bullying. As a result of that that review, the minister uh, initiated uh, a process of drafting legislation, went out to consultation in 2015, went through the committee stages in early 2016, and it was passed by the Assembly ahead of its collapse in March 2016. Uh, receiving royal assent uh, a couple of months later. But as you say, for various reasons, it only commenced and and schools only had to follow it really uh, from September of 2021, so just over uh, a year ago. And I suppose the purpose of the legislation, as I said, was to provide that more consistent approach for schools to follow. Uh, You hinted at it in your introduction there, and and you're quite right that that schools have been trying to address bullying for many years, and and many schools have been doing it very effectively, but the approach perhaps wasn't as consistent as it might have been. And schools and school leaders that I spoke to were very keen, sometimes desperate, to get clearer guidance from the Department of Education on how exactly they should respond to incidents, particularly online bullying incidents um, at the time. So there was an appetite for more guidance and more structure and there were it was a myriad of different definitions of bullying that were being used in policies across Northern Ireland as yes. well. Yes, you're not supposed to say the words bully or victim, I believe. Well, <laughs> that's an interesting point. Yes, I, I think we're, we're trying to move beyond that kind of labelling language of, of bully and victim. Now, finding alternatives um, can be... Uh, linguistically challenging. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, very, very long-winded. And we're encouraged to talk about pupils who are displaying bullying behaviour uh, and pupils who are experiencing bullying behaviour. And lingu- linguistically, it, it is complicated and long and, and sometimes a bit clumsy. But the point of it, I think, is 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 admirable and that is to avoid this kind of uh, perpetuation or labelling of children as either a bully or a victim. So that's the language that we're now, we're now using in the 
um, in the guidance and in school policies. And what about the sanctions? Are there any sanctions for schools who maybe don't keep their records or, or are seen not to be tackling bullying properly? Well, we don't really know that yet, but um, I would imagine schools will want to follow the legislation and there is a duty placed on, on boards of governors and very clearly delineated duties placed on those governors in a way that hadn't been uh, the case before. So we haven't had any sanctions imposed yet. Um, we've, we've just had the legislation commenced uh, around a year ago. Schools are still finding their feet. And I think the department and the inspectorate are very aware that schools are adapting to this new legislative context. So as far as I can see, the incidences of bullying are, are ranked by seriousness and therefore the, uh, the ways, the remedies, I suppose, are, are also ranked. Well, there's two things really that we're talking about here. One is the legislation and the legislation doesn't rank incidents of bullying by severity. But the Northern Ireland Anti-Bullying Forum has produced um, some guidance called Effective Responses to Bullying Behaviour. And in that, it very usefully, I think, does try to, I suppose, describe different levels of severity of bullying and equivalent responses. It's not a blueprint. It's not a, you know, a causal remedy for different uh, situations because, of course, bullying incidents need to be considered on a case-by-case basis. They're sometimes incredibly complex. Teachers need to bring all of their professional judgment and experience to bear to deal with these incidents, alleged incidents, of course, um, and there are a, a, there's a wide range of possible interventions and responses to bullying incidents when they occur. But let me say one more thing, and that is that, of course, what schools really need to be doing and are doing uh, effectively is to try to prevent bullying from happening in the first place. So, you know, the legislation and the guidance, you know, I suppose are focused particularly on dealing with incidents when they do occur. But my opinion and, and international research as well would suggest that the best approach is to try to create a climate within your school and an educational approach, preventative approach to bullying, where, where that is much less likely to happen in the first place. I, some bullying might be put down to downright nastiness or even inadvertent behaviour, but some which come under the discrimination or prejudice-based banner might be of special interest to the Equality Commission. Are they to be treated differently? Well, one of the big changes in the legislation is that for the first time, schools must record all incidents of bullying or alleged bullying in involving registered pupils at the school. That's not to say that the vast, vast majority of schools wouldn't have done that prior to this, but they now must do it uh, according to the legislation. And there is a framework for them to do that and a bullying concern assessment form and it's you know on the administrative system that's used across schools in Northern Ireland. So there's a consistent way in which schools can record incidents of bullying. And at the committee stage of the legislation, I remember amendments being made which added a little bit more detail as to what those incidents or how they should be recorded. So it's not just saying there are X number of incidents that, that happened in the school in this year. Schools have to record the method that was used. So whether it was, for example, physical bullying or was it cyber bullying and so on. And also the motivation. And there we'll come back to talk about that in a second. And thirdly, they must record how the incident was addressed and that's a very significant step forward as well, because I think it places a, a responsibility on schools, not just to record how many incidents happened, but also what steps were taken to try and address those incidents. Now, in terms of identity-based bullying, if you like, th those motivations include, well, there are a number of 
examples that are given in the legislation, but those are just illustrative examples. They're not, it's not restricted to the examples that are in the actual piece of, of legislation. But in the bullying concern assessment form then, um, under section 2.3, there are a number of tick boxes, if you like, where, where schools who are recording incidents can um, select one or more of a, a list of about 12 or 15 possible motivations. And, and they include things like age or appearance or religion or community background or sexual orientation or looked after status and so on. I won't read every single one of them, but you get my drift. But schools now have to uh, record the motivation where it's possible to ascertain that behind the bullying incident. And the natural question after that is, is it your information that the schools are doing that? It is my information that schools are doing that. Now, the Bullying Concern Assessment Form, which is the, the form produced to help schools to record these incidents. I mean, we were looking at it in class with my students just recently as well. And I think we all agreed that the form is quite long. I mean, there's no doubt about it. It's quite a lengthy form. However, my information from speaking to some schools, and this is not a scientific study, Maggie, but, you know, from the teachers that I've spoken to, it would appear that there is a general welcoming of having this form. It's seen as helpful for many reasons. It's helpful, of course, in terms of uh, cohering a response and a consistent response. It's, it's helpful in keeping a record for the school so that other people, and indeed those staff, can come back two or three or six or 12 months later uh, and see what happened and to remind them what happened. And of course, it also protects the teachers themselves that if there were ever vexatious claims that the school hadn't done anything, there would be a clear record which is kept centrally, not on scraps of paper in a filing cabinet somewhere, but centralised on an administrative system which actually protects the schools as well and helps to confirm that action was taken and it defines what that was. You say it's centralised, but it's kept within the school. It doesn't go to the Education Authority or the Department of Education? No, it's centralised within the school, but, but even that is a major step forward because clearly schools are large, often large, complex organisations and you can have something that's taken note of in, in a teacher's homework planner or filed in the head of years filing cabinet in the office and it isn't necessarily known about or, or shared with other members of staff who need to know. Boards of Governors are expected to know about uh, these incidences. Do they actually get regular updates or would they have to make a special effort to, to have a look at the, at the records? Well, I'm a member of a Board of Governors. Um, so th the way it works in, on our board um, is that there are regular reports um, at, at board meetings, just as there would be in, in relation to child protection. Um, there was a suggestion in the very early stages of the legislation that there would be one responsible member of the Board of Governors. That was changed. So the Board of Governors have a common responsibility, a collective responsibility for this. Uh, and so the number of incidents, details of incidents, of course, could be very confidential. And that's not shared just in the, as with child protection issues. But there is a reporting to the, to the Board of Governors on a regular basis at their, at their regular meetings. Yeah. Uh, we're turning to the other person on the other side of the table, Asha O'Reilly, who's the policy officer for the Equality Commission. Asha, we have the Act now. What does the Equality Commission think needs to happen now? Well, for the Commission, addressing prejudice-based bullying and challenging stereotypes in education is a key priority. And first of all, we need to know where we are with it. So just as Noel said about uh, records of incidents in school, we want the Department of Education to undertake comprehensive research into bullying in schools. So the Act currently requires recording of incidents, but they're currently retained at the school level and they're not collated or analysed by the Department for Education. 
So this comprehensive research will help us do two things. Firstly, we'd want the research to establish and to track over time what type of prejudice-based bullying is happening and how common it is. So it is essential the data is collected now at the commencement of the legislation and that the findings are disaggregated by equality categories. So this will allow us to identify the effectiveness of current interventions and also focus attention on areas of concern. And secondly, that research would also assess how schools are complying with the Act and help us plan future steps. And that's especially important in areas where the legislation isn't prescriptive. It gives schools discretion to collect and monitor one-off incidents of bullying and cyberbullying. The discretion in the legislation has raised concerns because it could lead to definitional confusion and unreasonable demands on schools if incidents happen outside school hours. So we want to see accurate recording of all incidents, including the incident's nature, motivation and outcome. And collecting data on this would then really help highlight any issues and potential training needs for schools. So that's a little bit extra for the future. But at the moment, do you think schools are clear on what they need to do under this legislation? Well, our view is that tackling prejudice-based bullying will be most effective if it's dealt with through a whole school approach. So that's at a range of levels within the school and that includes addressing and exploring prejudicial attitudes and identifying issues proactively through the curriculum that's in an age-appropriate way. So Noel mentioned this, there is guidance for schools called Effective Responses to Bullying Behaviour and that's for schools on how to comply with the requirements in the Act and also how to respond to and prevent incidents of bullying behaviour. So we want the Department for Education and the Education Authority to ensure that this guidance is properly implemented and updated whenever it's required and to ensure consistency of approaches in recording, responding to and um, preventing incidents of bullying behaviour. And that also includes training, which is essential. We also want guidance for schools that properly deals with actions to tackle unintentional acts of prejudice-based bullying. So they're not covered by the legal definition in the new law. Unintentional acts of bullying uh, they may not be a plan, intention to bully another child, but they can still harm children and they can cause fear or distress based on that child's personal characteristics like their ethnicity, gender and disability. And so acts like these, they may not be considered serious enough to constitute bullying, but they may still have a significant impact on a pupil, which can cause distress and disengagement from learning. And this type of unintentional bullying, as I said, it's not covered by the legal definition in the Act. So without action to tackle such incidents, prejudice and stereotypes may be perpetuated. For example, pupils may use uh, homophobic or disabled terms without the intention of causing harm or even realising that their comments are inappropriate, but it would have the effect of causing harm, potentially on an ongoing basis. So it's really important that schools and teachers and pupils understand that what they may regard as low-level forms of bullying can cumulatively be as serious as those that cause physical harm. So it's really important there are protections put in place and we, we recommend that that's through guidance for schools. So back to the chalk face, Noel, and... I've noticed in some of the, the, the guidance that there are actually sort of role plays of what people should say. Do you think that's useful? You know, what, what a teacher saying and then what a, a Bolshe student says in response? Well, I think it is um, always useful to have role plays and case studies and so on. And, and even a case study, and, and I would discuss case studies with my student teachers all the time, but even a, a you know, a 200 word case study doesn't 
ever equate to the complexity of a real life incident where you've got past histories and, and different personalities and parental influences and, and all sorts of things. So whatever help we can give schools, um, I would welcome for sure. If I can just come back on, on a couple of things Ash has said, and I, and I totally agree that, that we need a whole school approach to addressing bullying. I would go further than that. We actually need a whole community approach to addressing bullying because of course we know that particularly with prejudice-based bullying, identity-based bullying, whatever you want to call it, it's very strongly influenced by behaviours, attitudes, norms and so on that are often very deeply ingrained, not just in the school or the classroom, but actually in the community and broader society. Uh, and that's where not all bullying, but it's where a lot of bullying comes from and a lot of the identity-based bullying actually comes from as well. Now, how we address that and how we change societal values and norms. <laughs> I've asked your question for you there, Maggie, I think. Um, that's that's much more complex. You know, there's a limit on what schools can do, but, but what I'm saying is that, that schools are not solely responsible for addressing identity-based bullying, you know, because the attitudes and behaviours reflect uh, attitudes and behaviours which are present in families and communities and in broader society. You know, the, the children who are displaying those behaviours within the class haven't just picked them up from thin air, you know, they've, they've seen them, they've, they've experienced them, they've heard them, they've, they've seen behaviours tolerated um, uh, in in the classroom, in the in the playground, in broader society, uh, which are not helpful, and so this is a this is a big issue. It's a big societal issue, and and, and it requires a whole community response. So, Asha, that's an aspect which will be very close to the heart of the Equality Commission. Having seen this legislation, what do you think listeners should do? Well, I'd say listeners first of all could go to our website to see all of our policy priorities and recommendations and the full evidence base for what we're asking for and why we want it as well as that you could engage with ministers or wider elected representatives to raise awareness of what our recommendations are saying and you could also use it in your own work so yes all of the information is on the website and please feel free as well to reach out to the commission. Noel have you anything to add to that? Just to say that that I think we're all part of the solution here, Maggie, and that's a positive way to finish this conversation. I hope that w within our our schools, our, our classrooms, our schools, our communities, and so on, we should be working towards a, a, a culture creating and and strengthening a culture which is inclusive, which celebrates difference, which promotes kindness, which promotes respect, and that's something that all of us can do, whether we're directly involved in education or whether we're not, because actually we're all contributing to that bullying-free society that we want for our children and young people. And on that positive wish list, thank you very much indeed. Thanks to Dr Noel Purdy and to Asha O'Reilly. If you enjoyed this broadcast, then you might be interested in a range of podcasts now published online by the Equality Commission. You can find them on the Commission's website or wherever you find your favourite podcasts.